Yeah. Just use a spoon. What? Use a spoon. That does not? It, uh, because the spoon removes, like, the agitation of the fluids as it's hitting. So if you pour it onto a spoon that's resting on the surface and you're lifting it as you're pouring, it, there's no, it doesn't break surface tension. Oh, I'll have to try that. Yeah. Cool. From Mixologist Michael. (laughs) The more, the more you learn, Drunken UX. I'm going to try to find a better intro because I'm tired of saying good afternoon, good evening, or whenever you're listening to us because it makes me feel too much like I'm Truman Show. Like, trying to quote the Truman Show. So I don't know what it's going to be yet, but That's what for I think the of moment, every time. I just want to say howdy from Kansas, y'all. In our, I don't know, everybody says I have a southern accent and I've never quite uh, agreed with that, but I guess I'll play into it uh, for the mid- moment. Midwestern. Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing. We yeah. we have the the midwestern drawl. We we okay. We got that a sound. Down. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, you get an occasional warsh. <laughs> we had snow today up here in New York. Uh, we were supposed to get like two inches of snow, and <laughs> I think it I think it flaked a little bit, but that was literally it. It wasn't cold enough for it to stick, and we definitely yeah. didn't get we didn't it didn't even dust as far as that went. So. This is really cold for Kansas um, in November. Like, there have been years where we've gone into December still in the 60s. So, do you guys do you guys get um, like tornado blizzards? Um, does that no? Does that, exist? that sounds terrifying. <laughs> like, I'm just imagining like a tornado that doesn't like knock down houses or anything, but as it moves by them, it just covers them completely in snow. Like, it just turns them into a, basically like kind of thing no you're thinking of fire nados well no i've seen those i know they have fire nados but it seems like there should also be like a snow nado Snodo. no no i don't need that in my life right now we we already like if it snows it really i mean it'll it will snow hard and it's not necessarily like pennsylvania hard but we'll get one a year where it it's a good solid whiteout occasionally and that's mm-hmm. i've driven to the airport at like four in the morning in a mm-hmm. whiteout snowstorm, and that's scary as hell. No, thank you. I I once drove in Ohio during a bad snowstorm that was a whiteout, and this is before smartphones existed. Um, to like early two thousands and better times, better times. <laughs> and the the road you couldn't tell where the cornfields ended and the road began, and vice versa. And so it was really, really hard. And all the snow was super fresh, so it just looked like solid white in front of me. And, yeah, it was scary. (laughs) Well, folks, you're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast. This is episode number 23 with a to-be-determined title, but we will be talking about uh, block and object storage and CDNs, so basically where you put the things and how you get them. (laughs) Uh, I am your host, Michael Feenan, and with me on the other microphone is your other favorite co-host, Aaron Hill. Aaron, brother, how you doing tonight? I'm great. I'm on my, my, I pre-gamed a little, I'm on my second gingerbread. Yeah, you're welcome, by the way. Yeah, that was, that was all Michael. Well, well, you actually, you put the thing up on the Instagrams, didn't you? 
Yeah, yeah. So if you yeah. if you follow us on Instagram, uh, we are at Drunken UX Podcast. Um, we're also on Twitter, Facebook at Drunken UX. Go check us out on any of those social media places. Um, you can catch us on Slack, drunkenux.com slash Slack. But yeah, we shared a photo. I went out to uh, my friendly local neighborhood uh, liquor store. I was restocking some of the bar, and I thought, you know what? I like gingerbreads. I'm tired of, you know, having to go out to get them, and th- it, they're dirt cheap. I mean, like, mm-hmm. the ingredients are super cheap, and you can get a lot out of it. So um, I, too, I'm, I'm, I, we are both sharing in our <laughs> – it looks kind of like a white Russian, actually, is what it looks like when you yeah, it actually does, make it. Yeah, it does kind of, yeah. Uh, but we're talking uh, butterscotch schnapps, fireball whiskey, uh-huh. eh, whiskey, quote unquote, and uh, Irish cream of your choice, equal parts, yep. done. Yeah. Uh, super easy, super simple, and it's just delicious, right? <laughs> it's like, it's literally three shots in every drink, so. Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of it. <laughs> now, in fairness, schnapps is only like 15%. It's, yeah. it's like wine, mostly. Yeah. Um, I don't know what Irish cream actually is bottled at. Um, I think it's comparable, comparable to that. But of course, Fireball is probably thirty percent or something mm-hmm. along those lines. I think, I think it was like fifty proof, maybe. Yeah, I've that sounds it. about right. Yeah. yeah, but a couple of them will get you good. And if you, if Aaron can see my glass, this is not. I don't drink out of tiny glasses. I'll tell you that. Much. <laughs> uh, but this time of year, man. Well, you know, if you missed, if you missed that drink, you should follow us. On Instagram.com slash UX podcast or on Twitter or Facebook slash UX, and also join us on Slack. Tell us your favorite holiday drink recipes. DrunkenUX.com slash Slack. Debating whether or not to let you hang out there on that since I already said that. I did all those you things. You did? Wait, when? Like two Seriously? Ago. You were here. I I remember. I swear you didn't Folks, do all the Folks, he's already social. had his second one. You gotta give him a little bit of a break. It's all <laughs> oh right. I'll tell you what, if that if that's oh, not a good sign gonna... for how tonight's gonna go, well, then you just aren't paying attention. <laughs> We're not even at the this, warmer topic. You know, <laughs> this drink, though, is it's it's so nice for this time of year, especially. Like, everybody, you can go get your, your mm-hmm. pumpkin whatevers and all that, but this, it's, you know what it's like, what mm-hmm. it reminds me of? Have you ever had a... a, a, a Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah rum like shot and Fireball. So you still have the similar, you've got the creamy, you've got the, the Fireball, the cinnamon mm-hmm. component. The only real difference is that you swap in Irish cream and include a little butterscotch. But mm-hmm. I could see, uh, it tastes a little bit like a White Russian. It kind of looks like one, too. Um, but it has a bit more of like a spicy bite. Yeah, and it, you can make it as spicy yeah. as you want to. Throw in a little extra Fireball. Mm. Go nuts. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the time it. of year, um, we are just now rolling into November, and I have to admit something because oh. I was super excited, and I bragged about how I was so looking forward to it in earlier episodes. I was going to get my Git Hacktoberfest t-shirt, and I am not going to qualify for that this year. Oh, uh, no. How many PRs did you Oh, finish? probably a hundred. I mean, a lot. The problem is they're all on private repos. <laughs> oh. <laughs> everything we, yeah. everything I work on is in private repos for, you know, work and all of that. So it's like, <laughs> it's not stuff that's out there. 
And I was even the other yeah. day I got super excited because I was using Gutenberg and I found an accessibility issue that was, you know, fairly specific, but I noticed it. So I logged the ticket for it, but I'm like, that doesn't get me any credit. So what am I supposed mm-hmm. to do? Uh, please tell me that you made up for me. I did. Um, this year and last year, I have my Hacktoberfest shirt from last year. I will be getting one this year. Um, it, I, I don't think that it counts as cheating, but I mean, since I run a project that is an open source repo, all five of my PRs were through that. But they were legitimate PRs. Like they, Each one of them was at least an hour oh, see, I work. didn't even think about that so, in terms of... Do they check? I guess not. I don't know. If, I don't know if they check. Um, maybe they. Maybe they don't check I, at all, I and I did qualify. I don't. Do I? Do I know? Do I? Do they like send you an email? <laughs> oh, they. Well, they have. Uh, DigitalOcean has a a thing that like. I mean, it it knows how many PRs you've submitted. I think it just like, it does a GitHub query and looks for like PRs that were assigned to you that are on. Like I I don't know what kind of logic it does, but it. It has some kind of automated check. I don't know if it checks for like quality. We we had one PR come in in October and it was someone who added three words to the readme file and assigned it to like issue number one, um, which had been closed long, long ago. And, and I was like, uh, yeah, that's going to yeah. be a no. <laughs> like there are plenty of open issues. Grab one of them. Yeah, and I'm looking right now, and it, they don't. It doesn't look like I can like check or investigate if I qualified. Damn. If you if you go to the page and you sign in, it should it should tell you. Yeah, like, I your can't progress. now. It's turned off, or they they've yeah. turned something off. So, oh well, that gives me something to aspire to next year. If you if you don't know what we're talking about, go to hacktoberfest.digitalocean.com. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to it as well. It, it's it is something very cool to check out. The shirts I've seen, Aaron's past shirt, they're very cool. If you're a programmer guy that likes having something that doesn't have a company's name on it necessarily, um, I I definitely mm-hmm. think it's it's worth it. And I was I was disappointed in myself, I think, because I really did plan like in my <laughs> head, I had it worked out that oh, this will be easy. I already know even like I knew what I was gonna go and help with um because there's a couple projects i've been getting more involved in and man october was just not my month i guess so <laughs> uh if you if you do it you can go on github and there is a label it's like a globally used label called hacktoberfest you can just search for that and it'll help you find issues that are available and then you just have to do five five pull requests um during the month of october but you have to sign up yeah. first <laughs> They don't count them until you sign up. So don't, I mean, like, you know, do them constantly anyways. But I don't know if the PRs have to be accepted or not. Um, they they might just have to be submitted. I, I don't think they have to be accepted because that puts kind of an undue burden on project uh, maintainers. I guess we'll find out next year because Lord knows half the stuff I submit probably won't be pulled. <laughs> <laughs> All of, I, I'm happy to say with the exception of that one. All of the contributions, and we had a bunch. We had uh, twelve, maybe thirteen unique um, people making contributions to our project that were not previously part of the project or affiliated with our organization. Um, and I think we had, oh man, like at least at least twenty or thirty PRs coming nice. in total. 
That's killer. Yeah, it was it was really awesome. This well, is a good year for that. This just means that uh, if anybody from DigitalOcean or GitHub tunes in this week, um, we are looking forward to uh, uh, Ticket Thanksgiving and Commit Christmas. <laughs> and so if you will set these things up, I promise you I will make good on my promises to... Uh, <laughs> don't, don't forget about New, new PR's Day. New PR's Day. <laughs> new, new PR New Year's. Uh, what else? Uh Martin Luther King merges. Uh... <laughs> Mer- Merger Luther King. Is it... Okay, we've taken this joke far enough. <laughs> Let's get into the real topic. Uh, we are jumping into yeah. our end of the year run. We've got this, we've got another episode, and then we will be doing our end of the year roundup. And so we're looking at not just block and object storage, but also CDNs. Basically, how you store stuff mm-hmm. and how you get it to people who want to visit your stuff thesauruses so the easiest the easiest way to do this is to just rent server space and then you upload your stuff to the server space and then you right. serve it to so why why would you not want to do that i know yeah. I'm, it's rhetorical. Well, no no it's it's not rhetorical though because yeah. a lot of people you know they never worry about it because they don't have to um especially mm-hmm. if you're a, you know I'm, I'm gonna assume probably the folks listening are not themselves a small business but um, plenty of folks will work with small businesses whose, you know, monthly volume is literally megabytes in the double digits, probably yeah. like it's, you know, we're not talking about huge amounts of data transfer because people are checking them to get their, you know, restaurant menu. Um, and if that, if you don't know right. that reference, well, go back and listen to episode two or three, <laughs> uh, Kiss but fam. there is, there is this need and, and that's something I think that is important to kind of outline 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 from the outset Outlay. is that what we're going to be talking about is only relevant to the folks who are wondering when is the right mm-hmm. time for me to cut over and use a storage system or distribution system and that does only kind of apply to people who feel like they are going to be moving a lot of stuff um and right. for instance if you happen to run a web development podcast for some reason because you have nothing better to do with your spare time and no no would, life, why I don't know why. Do yeah, that? don't don't get into this because I'll tell you something else. Uh, it is a thankless uh, industry to be in. But if you feel the need, <laughs> you might need a CDN for some of that. Um, and so we'll we'll talk a little bit about that too. <laughs> not that I'm bitter or, or anything else. I'm not. Um, no, but really, uh, let's. We're going to start though by talking about block and object storage. Um, and yeah. block and object storage, there's, we're going to, throughout the evening, uh, day, well, show, let me, there we go. Throughout the show, that's the wording I should be using. <laughs> we're going to refer, I think, largely to Amazon and largely to DigitalOcean because that's what I personally have a lot of experience yeah. with. Um, Same. when it comes to block storage, there are other players. Uh, you've got Azure Blob, you've got uh, Google Cloud Storage, um, and mm-hmm. Now, I say that I think cloud storage is actually technically object storage. It's not block storage. Um, But it all falls into the same realm of you take files, you put them somewhere for another thing to get access to them, right? Uh, Right. Are you, Aaron, with like, for instance, diaper base and and the stuff you guys are doing, Mm -hmm. um, is all of that hosted locally for the server that you're running it on? Or do you use uh, a block storage system or something? We just moved from, we were on a Linode instance and we just moved to, an, uh, we got sponsored by Microsoft. So we're moved to an Azure cloud instance. 
I don't know if we're using their blob service or S3 or if it's just uh, natively stored. We're, we're not like the audience, the audience size is like the order of magnitude of the audience size is maybe like in the low thousands. So we don't need to have like the sure. redundancy and availability that, I say, I don't, I don't know, unless you have people, like, uploading photos of the diapers they have to contribute, maybe. Like, that's, I guess there probably isn't <laughs> a lot of need, necessarily, for a lot of distribution. Um, They upload their, uh, their logos, so, like, we do need something, yeah, but not but, a lot. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're just doing regular yeah. file systems. Well, and, and that's a good example. So, I started off by saying, you know... Not everybody needs this, and that's kind of a good case. Mm -hmm. Like serving even you know a thousand logos, you're still only talking a few megabytes across all the logos. I mean, there's, yeah, they're yeah because you, you can optimize, you can crunch them, whatever, and you're only ever serving a few of them at any given time. Most of those are probably long tail, so they only ever get mm -hmm. requested once in a great while. Uh, so mm -hmm. that's. A good use case, though, and I, I thought that was you know worth at least uh, asking about. If you think about it, yeah, when you think about block storage, object object storage, what we're kind of talking about is something that's sort of like FTP on steroids, right? Kind of. Do, does everyone know what FTP is? Didn't we talk about that before about how FTP yeah, well, is yeah, going I guess away? That's true, didn't we? Yeah. And as I'm saying it, I'm realizing <laughs> that's actually a terrible analogy. I should I I wrote this down in my notes and I said it because I saw it. And that's not, <laughs> that really isn't a good metaphor for this at all. Because especially like object storage, you get into access stuff. Like it's, it's meant to be retrieved from places. And when you put stuff on FTP, it's really only meant to be retrieved by another FTP user. So that's, yeah, it's just places you put things that you need other people to get. Well, I mean, we used to upload stuff for like, for web, like websites. Or we used to upload them using right, FTP. to the web server. But, right, and, right. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's why I think of think it's a bad metaphor, because FTP is really the protocol. It's the way in which you transferred, right. but not the thing you transferred. Um, so let's, maybe, maybe this works better taking a step back. Let's explain block storage and object storage, because they are different, even though they are um, usefully similar. Uh, object storage mm -hmm. is... Exactly what it sounds like. Object storage, a good example, is Amazon S3. Uh, it is... Mm -hmm. It's a simple storage service. Storage, yeah, that no, sounds right. S3 times, yeah. yeah. So it, says, it does not mean storage, storage, storage. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Storage, storage, storage. <laughs> Sunday, yeah. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Start your simplified SVGs with us. Uh, it's designed to store things and lots of little things. Um, and... Without limit. It's a place you put stuff. And it can be a few megabytes. It can be thousands of gigabytes, which are otherwise known as terabytes. Um, <laughs> hey. Hey. Mr. I'm already on my second. You be quiet. <laughs> this, this drink, man. <laughs> Block storage is more of a defined volume. Like, usually when you, like, so the comparison here is S3 is object storage. EBS is what Amazon calls their elastic block storage. These are both right. 
uh, AWS services that you can rent from Amazon. Block storage is generally bought in chunks, so you would create an EBS volume that is 10 gigs, um, even if you aren't using mm-hmm. all of that. Whereas in object storage, if I stored a 20 megabyte file, then I'm getting charged for 20 megabytes of storage. And so you might ask, well, then why would I ever use block storage? Block storage is also meant to be mounted. So if you are running a server, if you're running a web host, for instance, or web application, you can mount block storage as a volume inside of your operating system. And it treats it just like a folder or directory so that everything stored goes in and out of it. It honors permissions and things like that with your operating system. Is that done over NFS or Um, is it? NFS is, uh, I think, one of the options that EBS supports. Um, Okay. You you would need to check with your provider, whoever you're using for block storage, as to what they support. Okay. Um, But I think NFS is probably the standard. I don't know what else would be other than that outside of, um, I mean, Amazon, you know, if it's internal to Amazon, they could probably make it whatever they want it to be, but. Right. (laughs) So that's, that's the main, in fact, that's the biggest significant difference is that object storage is not designed to be mounted. It's meant to be interacted with, whether that's over a REST API, HTTP requests, whatever. I, I think that is the most difference between the two is is the way you interact with them um like it's like the difference between clicking going to a web form and clicking on like choose file and then uploading something versus having a dropbox folder that you drag yeah. stuff into and this is it's hard without going into a lot of technical detail so i one of my side projects is a mapping company and we have a tile server that runs and so when you're building a map, you it, you upload this the the stuff, and it carves it up into tiles, and we store those tiles locally so that the application can use them and show you your map while you're editing it. Once that is done and you publish it, we push it off to S3, object storage, so that mm-hmm. visitors getting your map are not hitting our server. Right. Now, that's the way we have been doing it to this point, and all that data get stored on our particular, uh, in this case, we're using DigitalOcean. They're stored on that server. What we could do and will be doing for that particular chunk is the application is small. Like the needs to have, you know, Linux running and your application running and a Ruby stack running, that doesn't take a lot of storage or RAM or anything. Um, mm-hmm. But all the data we generate becomes very cumbersome. And by moving it to a block storage system, we're able to integrate it with our application, just like it's a folder. It doesn't have to do anything special. And then we could also take that, we could duplicate it, we could move it, we could spin up a new server and attach it uh, so that it can access it. And that's what, like, block storage makes for, like, a a super creative, super useful hot swap drive kind of situation. I I think the... uh you just mentioned about spinning up new servers like dockerization with it with that being like the hot thing right now that definitely makes for uh makes it really useful to have block storage for that because then you can have you know you can deploy your docker file spin up your app whatever it is and then you know that your storage is always persistent across builds um you know i mean i know you can do that with symlinks and everything if you do local file storage but some things like Heroku or uh, I think some of the services that are similar, maybe Beanstalk, yeah, Amazon. 
uh, they, uh, you know, you, you just have the app that you're deploying and then that's all you get. You can't save stuff that space. So you have to have your storage right. elsewhere. And before I go any farther, I do want to say our normal caveat, which is I am not a absolute block storage, object storage expert. Um, and if we say anything that's wrong or confusing or whatever, please feel free to correct us or let us know. And we will be happy to share that out, you know, and include it in the show notes or whatever. So we're going to intentionally say one thing wrong. Come find so it. that someone will correct. Us. Yeah. Come, come find the, our, our red yeah. herring. Um, <laughs> now, if you're interested in using this, now I started with this idea that it's similar to FTP and I have already backtracked on that, but it, there are a handful of tools though, that make um, block storage and object storage very easy. Uh, if you go like, so we use object storage for the podcast. Now I'm going to use us as right. kind of the guinea pig here. I store all of our podcast episodes, all of the, what, this is the 23rd episode of Drunken UX. We've had 38 episodes of real-time overview. Uh, as of Wednesday, we'll have six episodes of build time. All of these big MP3 files are all stored separate from our web server in S3. And mm-hmm. for me, because I'm only interacting with it basically once a week, I go in and I just, I literally use their web interface to upload these files. Yeah. Amazon has it, DigitalOcean has it. Um, I'm sure Blob and, and Cloud Storage have the exact same thing, uh, even though I haven't used them. But that's one way to do it. Uh, another way is there are plenty of tools out there, and some of them you'll know and some of them you won't. Like if you've used FileZilla as an FTP client, huh. FileZilla has a plugin for really? what they call S3 and S3 compatible services. Uh, so that's Interesting. that's one option. Cyberduck. A lot of Mac users use Cyberduck. It's on Windows, Linux now. You can use that to tie into S3 <laughs> services. There's a a I don't know. It's I'm going to call it Shareware. That's probably the wrong word, but S3 browser. It's free mm. for personal use. You have to pay a license fee for commercial use. The personal version is crippled a little bit, though most people won't notice. Um, but there are like some large scale bulk stuff that will get in the way all of these when you're using them they feel very ftp client like yeah Um, when you like when i use it for uploading um podcast episodes in the web interface i mean it's it's a file tree it's not anything special the only thing i have to do uh, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit is set my permissions when i upload stuff uh right i'll throw a few other names out there if you use firefox check out the s3 organizer plugin there's Bucket Explorer, there's Cloudberry, um, and we'll have links to all of those. I'll, I'll throw some links in the show notes to, to all of these tools if you want to check them out. The main thing is, rather than FTP, and the reason one reason why F, people are moving away from FTP is because it's insecure. Even even SFTP. Uh, yeah, it's certainly better than FTP, but not by a whole lot. Um, there's always this risk that you're sending stuff in plain text. So with S3, you generate a key pair inside of if it's if you're using s3 it's amazon um if it's an s3 compatible service it's whatever they're using but you'll generate a key pair just like you would for an api just like you would for rsa or anything like that give it your key pair and boom it'll connect to your buckets and a bucket is the name for the object storage in this case um (laughs) and argue the bucket i and (laughs) what's the what's the the uh the walrus right um, no, is uh, the guy from Monty Python and the Meaning of Life? 
And I'm uh, I'm thinking of the, the meme. Very, very... I'm thinking of the the walrus meme where he's got I got my bucket. What's oh, that? Yeah, got my bucket. Can't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's and I I also should be clear that like as I'm talking about this, I am talking about S3. EBS, I don't think EBS works that way, and I haven't tried it with one of these services. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can mount an EBS volume. I don't know. Um, you mean? Do you mean EC2? No, no, no. I'm, Elastic Cloud Storage. I mean EBS, like the the Elastic oh, okay. Block Storage system, um, because since those are meant to be mounted as a drive, I don't know. It's a little different when you get into that. Like, and that's the thing is that if you've ever done anything with virtual drives or something like that too. Um, you can mount a virtual drive like in Windows, for instance, or like a remote location in, in Windows, and it shows up like a drive. You can do that with S3. S3 isn't really meant to be used that way, and that's why all of these mm-hmm. tools exist, because you need to have something in intermediary to make it look like a drive. Whereas EBS right. is meant to work that way. So I think if you need EBS access at like a an operating system level... I think you can just mount it as long as you've got a key pair for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's one area. I like expertise there, and so I'm going to leave that one just open. And if somebody knows better, by all means, shoot us a message and let us know because uh, that's one area that I don't have good experience. Yeah. That's fair. So why? Oh, by the way, I said EC2 is Elastic Cloud Storage. EC2 is Elastic uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's their version of uh, Digital Ocean Droplets. Or rather, Digital Ocean Droplets are their version of EC2. Whatever. You get the <laughs> idea. These things are all very interchangeable. And that's one reason why I'm also grouping Amazon and Digital Ocean together mm-hmm. with storage. Dig- digital Ocean's, um, it's called Spaces, is their service. It is S3 compatible. So most okay. tools can work with them interchangeably because they don't care. It's all made on the same protocol. Protocol? That's a band. That's the band that took over from Kansas. <laughs> this drink. I know, man. For real. It really is. <laughs> so why? Why, why, why? That's the next question, right? Okay, this is great, but why would I ever want to use block storage or object storage? Because I'm on a web host. I pay my $3 a month for HostGator. I have I unlimited have everything. unlimited storage right. on my web host. So why would I ever care about this? On my shared... Web host instance. Okay. Let me start by quoting HostGator. This is from their FAQ. It was taken today, so it's, it is current text as of the airing of this episode. Disk space and bandwidth are unmetered for all of our plans, which means you are not charged according to how much you use. However, we expect customers to utilize the amount of disk space and bandwidth necessary for the normal operation of a personal or business website. In the very rare case that you come close to exceeding this amount, you will receive an email from us. (laughs) A, if you want to hire me for voice acting, just drop me an email. Michael at uh, drunkenux.com. Secondly, you're not going to just receive an email from them. You're going to receive an email from them with a cease and desist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, a nasty gram. And this is from their FAQ, not their terms of service. You can go look at their terms of service if you want and just search for the word storage. It's the fourth result, I think, as of when I looked at it last. Basically, what it comes down to is, you know, their unmetered, unlimited stuff is unlimited and unmetered in the same sense of anything that uses that word in commerce. 
at this point. <laughs> it's what they want yeah. it to be. It's yeah. it's use it, don't abuse it. Right. That's what it is. I, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think of a of a way where like someone might use significantly more than an average thing and not be using it for illegitimate purposes, but I can't think of one. I guess maybe like if I what it really would come down to is A, I think we would get kicked off HostGator right now. Yeah. Um I think the amount of bandwidth we use and the amount of storage space we're using for podcast episodes would absolutely get us kicked off and this comes back to the terms of service that they have, and I'm 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 sorry to HostGator. I apologize profusely for using you guys. I'm a customer. I have sites hosted with you. That's just my experience, and so I'm using you. But I also know that every any shared host, they're all like that. Yeah, they yeah. all have the same clause. This isn't specific to them, right? But what the the clause that's buried in their terms of service deals with things like. They specifically call out anything that isn't meant to be publicly accessible, like, okay, oh, I've got unlimited storage. I'm just going to start backing up my Word documents there. Can't do that. It specifically uh, well, says it has to be web resources. I, they're not going to notice. I, I'm guessing they're just doing, like, a recursive DU on all of their user folders, and they're just looking for any of their, like, outliers. Oh, sure. So yeah, it's, yeah, pro yeah. it's probably a shell script on a cron job or something. I I would bet that you could store all of your Word documents and nobody's going to say peep. If they do, just change the extension to .png. <laughs> I'm, they've got algorithms or whatever that run, I'm sure, that are designed to try to detect behavior that's not normal. The The usage that I would expect they might bark about is if you're backing up, and these are even web-friendly formats, but like if you're backing up your media archive of like photos or videos or whatever, um, that's going to get big fast, and they, they might bark about that. Yeah, well, and, and the argument is real simple, right? This idea of use it, don't abuse it. If you are having to justify to yourself why you should be allowed to get around the rules, then mm -hmm. odds are you need to be thinking about a different system. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, I mean, yeah, <laughs> most websites will never, ever come into conflict with that. Uh, by and large, again... As their own thing says, normal operation of a personal or business website, mm -hmm. they get to determine what that is, not you. Yeah. That's the, I think that is the kicker point on that kind of phrasing is that you don't get to make that call because you are contracted with them and it's their service. And if they decide right. what you are doing is not in line with normal operation, then they can say, you know what? No, you're using too much bandwidth. Uh, we're going to throttle you down and your people aren't mm -hmm. going to get, you know, immediate access to your content, whatever. Or or they'll just say, we're limiting you to this much. Like your your users are going to have a slower experience right. unless you pay for this elevated tier. And, and this isn't kind a like net a neutrality v, thing. It's nothing like that. Like this is strictly mm -hmm. a business trying to enforce. Yeah. A, a quality of service model, a QoS system for their users. Yeah. Because your, if you're like with HostGator or Bluehost or any of these folks, your website is there with how many others, you know, at mm -hmm. any given point. I don't know how many they put on a server, if it's 10, if it's 100. Um, but either way, if you're chewing up tons of bandwidth, tons of storage on that system, you are going to stand out and they have the right to step in and say, yeah. You're not normal, and we are going to hold that back. <laughs> that's 
That's the so that's <laughs> that's a big reason for it. And I'm not trying to scare anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think, oh God, am I you know immediately at risk? You probably aren't. If if you haven't considered the if you haven't considered the question of whether or not your storage is in line with their requirements, you're probably fine. And that email where they say, you know, you'll receive an email from us. That email, the first thing it's going to say is you need to reduce consumption and or storage. Yeah. And just do that and you'll be fine. Um, it's not like they're going to yeah. cut you off at that second. So, you know, and, and I, again, I'll refer back to us. You know, we're pu- pushing, you know, dozens and dozens of gigs of data a month in bandwidth. Mm-hmm. You know, our storage is whatever the MP3s take at this point, you know. And I don't think our storage would get us in trouble, but I do think the bandwidth would, especially on peak days. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we would, and any successful podcast would want that problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that means if, you know, you're chewing down gigabytes of bandwidth a month, that means, or even terabytes, that means you're getting lots and lots of views. or listens. And so that's the next sort of takeaway is that if you're using EBS volumes or block storage volumes, if you're using any kind of object storage, it's scalable. So it can grow with you over yeah. time. So if you start small and you get bigger, then you just get bigger. And it's not a huge deal as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is it is metered, but it's sort of unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's not going to be a point where they're going to say like, wait a minute. Well, and so <laughs> like it, to that regard, I'm not going to, I don't want to go real deep in like pricing models because I'm sure I'll screw something up. But Amazon has a free tier. Mm-hmm. DigitalOcean Spaces is, I think, $5 a month for the first terabyte of it's, bandwidth. It's crazy. Yeah, it's cheap. And it's incredibly cost-effective at that point. Five bucks a month. Yeah. If you if it's something you care about and you're making money at it and it's not worth five bucks a month to you, then I don't know what to tell you, man. So here, here's kind of like a an adjacent issue. I mentioned earlier, like, storing your photos or videos on there. Let's say, I, I know you, you shoot photos. Yes. Where do you store your photos? Do you do like external storage? I've, do you do, I have like... an external hard drive that is then backed up to another external hard drive. So basically every picture okay. I take requires double storage basically, but it is all, if yeah. my house burns down, I'm screwed. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so you have, I mean, I have a, a network attached storage myself with a mirrored three terabyte drives. So I've got basically the same thing you have. That's great. But if you, if you have, uh, and if you're storing video, especially, that's gonna that's gonna add up really quick after maybe a year of video. If you want to keep any of that for archival purposes or or anything, where do you keep that? Right. Uh, I I'd I'd looked in for someone else. I'd looked into, uh, you know, what Amazon has to offer with cloud storage, and they have the Glacier storage, which is sort of like uh, low cost, low speed access to your archival stuff. Um, and the idea I had was you could take your photos and like run a shell script on your collection of photos to generate like low res index files, basically you can scan through quickly and then, um, upload the rest to glacier storage. The cost is like, mm, it's all right. It's not significantly cheaper. Uh, you'd have to look I, the, the real benefit is the reliability. Cause like Amazon's gonna, you're not going to lose your data with Amazon. Right. You know, like they have like hard drives upon hard drives and like raid 10,000 or whatever. (laughs) So you're getting into like two, two areas there that I think are important for block storage and object storage. Mm -hmm. One is scalability. 
So as you're shooting more, recording more video, producing more mm-hmm. audio, getting more, you know, uh, user generated content, whatever you need, something that, you know, can grow. You can take an EBS volume, make it bigger object storage. You just keep adding stuff to it. Um, and then mount it however you need to or access it however you need to. And then the other thing is these both offer you better life cycle options. So whether that's just mm-hmm. backing up EBS volumes or with S3, one thing I love about S3 is you can go in there and you can say, this is normal availability. This is high availability. Mm-hmm. This is something you can set up a rule that says after 60 days, move it to the low availability zone and move it to Glacier. And then right. and then it handles, you basically are trickling stuff, your content. So you know, you know, 1% of all the stuff you make is what you need in the next month. And after a month, you only need a fraction of that. And beyond that, you only need, right. a, you know, 99% of that is then, you know, something you'll probably never access. So it, you can trickle that stuff into something like Glacier, which is cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's still accessible. It's just slower. Yeah, it's, it's slower. Yeah. That's the only thing. But you're that's that's the balance. That's the cost effectiveness yeah. is slow is cheap. And so depending on what your model is, and this, you know, this gets really abstract in terms of whatever it is you're building or trying to support, but it lets you cut your costs down based on what you need, basically. I want I want to see Amazon introduce like a fourth tier below Glacier. I don't know, I'm not sure what they'd call it, but it would be that you store something with them and then it gets stored onto a hard drive that they mail to you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> tape transport uh, yeah. that so there's there are a few other things and then we're gonna hit break and come back and talk about content delivery networks one is reliability and this is something that's big i think in in my camp in that mm-hmm. you know you have a lot of ways to take backups and they're all you know whether you're using DigitalOcean, amazon google anybody else azure um you know your data will be accessible and you're never limited to a single point of failure. I back up my photos to two places. My house burns down. Mm-hmm. I still have a single point of failure. Uh, yeah. Amazon's not immune to this. Uh, what About once a year, I feel like the Northern Virginia uh, data center goes down <laughs> for like six hours. Uh, yeah. So they're not immune to it. But it's never like down that. It's not like down you lose stuff down. Um, so you, you've got really high data reliability, um, and along with that comes backup and versioning. Backups are a nightmare, and people do them badly, or they'll take a backup but not think about the restore process. And things like S3, even if you're using something like Google Drive, let's say, um, mm-hmm. I can tell how much drink I've had by how Google comes out of my <laughs> mouth. Just by the Google. way, Google. Uh even Google Drive, you know, lets you restore versions very easily. S3 is the same way. If you're anybody who's changing stuff frequently, those versions can be very useful. The backups can be very useful. It also makes it easy to move stuff around in the same way. Uh, and then access and permissions. So mm-hmm. whereas now an EBS volume is designed to be mounted. It's a folder level or a, a system level thing so that you can access it usually over NFS is I think what they use. Um, so, you know, the permissions model, whatever your system is using, you can go that direction. Or with S3 and S3 compatible services, you set what are called ACLs, access control lists. 
and mm. you a set caveat on those is that if you do do s3 um and you upload a file before it's world readable you have to set the acls on it affirmatively it does not default to being accessible. i think can you set that at the bucket level as a setting i don't know i haven't tried i i don't know if you can i you might be able to do it at the bucket level, but I know that the default is like no one can see this ever. Yeah. Well, that, or at least it was a couple of years ago. The last time I looked, at and it. that's I mean, it is good security. It's what do they call it? The the model of least access, um, whatever right. that's called, uh, where right. you only give people the access they need, and if they only need to see your images, then as you upload images, you just set them readable to who needs them. Yeah. Um. So I mean, by the that way, makes I, sense. I I did the math. Um. Five nines of uptime, like 99.999, is on a year scale, it's still 2.1 hours a year that you have. Done. Yeah. Is, is that what Amazon <laughs> guarantees for their S3? I don't know if they specifically do, but I know that like five nines is sort of like like the industry standard. I don't know. If I, I'm guessing they mean 99.999 and not like two more nines after I, that. I think S3 actually goes to like, it's either six or eight nines. Really? Yeah, okay. it's it's a lot. Oh, here, wait. I'm going to look while I'm trying to finish up talking here. S3 uptime. <laughs> Gare. Guarantee. Um, <laughs> it's the only way I can remember how to spell it. Uh, yeah, so at, at any rate, though, those, those permissions let you be very granular over your control. M- many people probably won't have to worry about that, but if by chance you do... It's really easy to set uh, access control, whether it's object storage, block storage. Um, as for S3, they guarantee... Ah, uh, crap. I was hoping my eyes would scan it, and I'm not seeing it. It is greater than 99.9. I had it up earlier. That's the really bad part, is I literally was looking at this. That's why I was thinking it was six or eight nines, because I know it was a lot, well, and it feels like it was more than five. If it's if it's eight nines in a decimal section, so like ten nines altogether... It comes out to 7.57 seconds per year. That's downtime. I, I, I only say that oh. to say that like 99, that it seems like an absurdly high number of nines, but when you deal with really, really large numbers, it becomes countable. <laughs> so, and here's what it is. This is what I saw. It's mm-hmm. nine nines, but, wow. but it's called, it's designed for durability of nine nines mm. across multiple availability zones. So okay. you do need to be using zones in AWS if you want that kind of support. Mm-hmm. Um, durability is a strange word to use, I think. But basically, yeah. it's probably more reliable than HostGator. Just saying. You know, like, for example, with, with NASA, when they do pi calculations, I think they only go to like five digits of pi or something because for even for NASA's calculations on planetary astronomical literally scales... Five nines of five digits of pi is sufficient. Five, like even if you have two hours of downtime a year, you're probably fine. All I know is um, I measure my pie in slices, and after about three, I feel pretty <laughs> crappy. <laughs> Folks, couple weeks. I'm gonna go get myself another refill. We'll see you back here in 45 seconds, and we're gonna talk about the second half of this puzzle, which is content delivery networks and how they factor into this equation. So. Sit tight, go get yourself a drink if you're not at work anyway, and we will see you back in just a second. <laughs> or driving. Or driving. Yeah, don't. Or driving. Don't, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't. I mean, gingerbread. If you're flying, though, it's Gingerbread's fine, fine but only fine. if it's real gingerbread. Not this gingerbread. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. Are you trying to build a case around an interactive map for your school, city, or business? NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. Their team of professional cartographers specialize in map illustrations and are ready to design a rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all your users' devices with responsive maps that scale and blend in seamlessly with your website. Visit them online to request a demo at newcloud.com slash drunkenux. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenux. Tell you what, I brought a special little piece of accoutrement with me. What's that? <laughs> what do you What do you call things that you have at your bar? I don't know. Um, uh, glassware. And so I'm going to show this, and of course you all can't see it, and I apologize, but I'm going to hold it up to my camera so that Eric can see it. <gasps> this is my Ooh. measuring. Uh, it's not a jigger. That is not the right name for it this. It looks like a jigger. It looks kind of like a jigger. It is a zonite measuring pourer it's a two tablespoon uh measuring glass but it's a and to i'll describe it for folks it's like a little pedestaled funnel it's only two tablespoons so it's not very big but i've got i bought a box of them i've got probably 10 of them in in my cupboard right now i got them at an auction and i love them they're just because they they're like world war ii they're super old um but -hmm. they're also perfect for they're, they are a jigger, basically. So they're great for making drinks, yeah. especially at home where you and, might want to get a little bit heavier of a pour than what a jigger gives you. So It looks like half of a jigger, but made of glass. Yes. I've already dropped one, yeah. too, and blown it to pieces. So <laughs> Good thing I got ten of them. <laughs> um, okay, so coming back in, we are going to be talking about content delivery networks otherwise known as PVRs. No, that's not right at all. Uh, <laughs> Pont, Ponten no, delivery networks. CDNs. CDNs. <laughs> and so as with the first part, we are talking heavily about Amazon and DigitalOcean. Um, and so with Amazon, their service is called CloudFront. Um, Spaces is still the name with DigitalOcean. But the thing is, like, their block storage spaces system is also fronted by a CDN and it's just kind of included. And so that's mm. why we've I've, I've we I us whatever we sort of melded these subjects together because there is a lot of weird overlap, I guess. Um because there are other CDNs, right? People have heard of Cloudflare, I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh Max CDN? No. What? Max Max CDN? I've not, not heard not of that. Max. One. Um how about Key yeah. CDN? Key CDN, that's a, that's a, no. a up and comer. Akamai, everybody's heard of Akamai. I know that one. Akamai is yeah. like the Akamai is is super weird because you would think Amazon would kind of have this market, but Akamai is uh, uh, like the gorilla. They're sort of the oracle of CDNs almost. They they've been around they've, forever. They've been around forever. Yeah, their pricing for what it's worth, and this is why they're sort of thrown into the other group, even though they're huge, even though they're like incredibly good. I'm going to bet a shiny new quarter that nobody listening is in the field in a way that Akamai is something they can afford. <laughs> so to speak, like, I mean, you have to be like a major, yeah. like large entity for that. That's some serious, that's some serious. And you way. need to be, yeah, you need to have some serious data to push. If you do great, go check them out. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't do it, 
but I'm just saying that I'm kind of trying to tailor this to folks who are learning, and Akamai is not well, the learning platform. It, even if it was affordable, you don't you don't need that. Like, and I mean, even if your website is very popular, I'm sure AWS with a load balancer would be more than enough. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah. load balancers even get into like a whole other area. I'm looking right now, and again, mm-hmm. I'm trying to buy time as uh, we're talking. I was hoping to see how many edge locations Akamai has just off the top of my head. And they're like, no, here's a map. So count the dots. I can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> they have a lot. They, they, they have a lot of edge locations. Um, and I think they have more than Amazon. Though Amazon, don't quote me on that. Don't sue me on that. Don't, you know, call me names on that. Uh, you can call them names. You can call me names. That's okay. I can take it. I'm thick-skinned. The reason that I am saying this, though, is that, like, Cloudflare, we, we tend to refer to Cloudflare as a CDN, although they are technically not. And we'll discuss yeah. this here in a minute, uh, why that is the case. But um, these services, storage, whether it's block storage, mm-hmm. object storage, and serving, there's a lot of overlap in how they work. Um linguistically, technologically, logistically. So they kind of fold together in weird and interesting ways. Um, Most, if you, if you ever use like a, I I know that like jQuery is dying or whatever. So says the headlines. (laughs) Um, But if you use any, any frameworks like that, jQuery, Bootstrap, Foundation, any of the other things, a lot of, a lot of them are hosted on Google. So you just reference like, a single URL on Google, and then when the request is made, it automatically goes to whatever one is. It's part of their CDN, so it goes to whatever one is closest. Yeah, so that's that's a great way to get into this, is thinking about if you aren't using a CDN for your site, you may very well be using a CDN mm-hmm. for things that you use. Um, mm-hmm. jQuery, I think, is a great example. Even if you use jQuery from Google, Google right. is serving it from their CDN. Um, and yeah. Google, if you look like Google has, what, 30, 40 different libraries, probably more than that now, that mm-hmm. they host, that they serve th- through their content delivery network. Because the whole idea is we need to get these files to you. The files don't change. They're libraries. We need to get them to you and get mm-hmm. them to you as quickly as possible. Um, right. And so it doesn't count against your bandwidth and it's globally available as far as uh, how quickly it can get to you. So even if you aren't using one actively, you may sort of be using one and not even know it at this point. (laughs) Um, And I don't know, uh, WordPress, does WordPress load jQuery from a CDN or does it load it locally? That is... I don't know the answer to that, but I would think that you could probably enable that if it doesn't have it definitely is is yeah you can definitely do it and it is loaded locally uh for what it's worth Mm -hmm. Um, that's just interesting to me um yeah because you could rename the libraries in in wordpress if you wanted to one one nice thing about loading stuff over cdn is that if you subscribe to like like if they have like a they might have like a current you know a current version like labeled current version or something of jquery or whatever latest Basically, yeah, latest. You just always get that version whenever it loads. Yeah, if you're doing work that's um, not like very version dependent, for instance, mm-hmm. that's a good way to avoid or maybe like exploits, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Like if you just they they might have it mapped out by like major version or something, and then as long as 
the major version shouldn't change with anything that's going to break your code unless your code is like weirdly brittle. Right. Um, and then that way, at least, if there's any volumes exposed, exposed on them, it'll... In, in a way, right, it's not any different from using something like, let's say, NVM. If I say NVM right. use 8, yeah. it's using the latest mm-hmm. version of Node 8, not, you know, 801 right. or something like that. Like, you can say, I need 8. I don't care about anything else. Nothing I'm doing is relevant to any of the minor or super, or, or mm-hmm. trivial patches. Give me eight. That's all I need because I know that seven six is bad. I don't think there was. Was there a node seven? I don't think there was. No, if there was. R- Rails has something similar. With anybody writing can, software, like, please stop skipping numbers. It's really pissing me off. <laughs> uh, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> WordPress. Where's Windows nine? Where's Windows nine? Microsoft. WordPress is a Where good is example it? though because. Um, WordPress is a reason to use a CDN because if you are building a WordPress mm-hmm. site, you're using a lot of plugins, you're using, you know, let's say you're using advanced custom fields, you're using Caldera forms, you're using, um, mm-hmm. let's throw BuddyPress into the mix and Jetpack with all of its stuff enabled. WordPress sites can mm-hmm. get incredibly slow when you throw a lot of plugins in the mix um, because yeah. there's a lot of PHP overhead that has to run constantly. And if you aren't running on a service let's say WP Engine, that has caching and stuff built in, and you haven't thought about, well, what is caching? What do those words mean? Um, <laughs> your site can get really slow, and that's where one area where CDNs come in handy because they will retrieve and cache those requests for how you know whatever right. the settings are that you're using at that point. And so if you have a really heavy back-end and server-side transaction... CDNs can speed up the front end of it so that your users can get your content immediately, even if rendering mm-hmm. that stuff can take a while. And so one person so it, is it slow also, as opposed to a thousand. It lets your server focus on the user-provided content, whether it's you or your users, depending on what your site is. Um, whereas like the structural framework content can be loaded much more quickly by like third parties. Oh, that, that actually, I, I meant to mention this in the first half. Um, another reason to use block storage is if you store all of your user-generated content in it, like y- your app or whatever your thing is, you probably have that in a repo somewhere. You're using version control or whatever. If, you're, if your instance goes down, if it gets hacked, whatever, uh, you can just redeploy and it's no big deal. But your user-generated content is all original stuff and you don't want to lose that. And so putting it in block storage or similar gives you some resiliency. Yeah, yeah that's that. a great point, actually. And uh, thank you, because I didn't even think mm-hmm. of that. Uh, not that I have to think <laughs> of everything in this equation. That's not what I'm trying to say. Uh, I have my no, moments. But that's a good point, not just with EBS or block storage, but also with a CDN. Because I mentioned earlier, Cloudflare, kind of a CDN, but mm-hmm. kind of not. A lot of these, whether yeah. it's Cloudflare, like Max CDN, Key CDN, these services that you know brand themselves as a content delivery network, if they are purpose built for that, a lot of those have security measures in place as well. Um, we'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit more security in a second, but um, basically they come along with the delivery part, but they also try to detect weird traffic. Yeah. And like if you have users, when it you know user generated content is the thing like you want your users you know if if that's the kind of site you are to be able to do things and contribute um but that's also a risk anytime you are letting a user add something to your system 
there is a non-zero amount of risk there. Um, and mm-hmm. so exactly, you know, whether it's got to do with your delivery, whether it's got to do with your storage, it's easy to restore a system, but it, it can be right. hard. And especially, you know, and regardless of how you sanitize your data, you know, what your threat model looks like in terms of um, keeping user stuff separate from system stuff and, and how your internal firewalls are set up. This is one reason why uh, this goes back to yeah the first half. Why object storage is useful. Being able to set access control on everything keeps it very separate mm-hmm. and secure from the rest of your service so that you can't yeah, access you, back it, and forth necessarily. If you had, if a vector for your, a, a security vector for your site was being able to upload stuff by as a user and someone was able to use that to upload something malicious, um, having that stored in a like a block storage outside of your site at least keeps it off of the file system where your main site yeah, and, is. And generally, like an object storage isn't executable. It's right. It's yeah. usually a read-only scenario as far as consumption goes. Your system, you can, of course, get around that. There are a million ways to get around it. But as the developer, you have to actively say, I'm going to retrieve mm-hmm. this and execute it, not I'm going to right. trust my user to give me something secure. Because if you're doing that, don't do that. That's That's a bad <laughs> idea, guys. <laughs> yes. Don't let people upgrade upload executable series. So I would be <laughs> remiss to not bring up reverse proxies. Um and I'm gonna throw that out there and I'm gonna let Aaron jump in here because reverse proxy always sounds like a term that's made up. <laughs> so every time we hear it, it's like that's you're just making that up, aren't you? <laughs> normally when we talk about proxies in networking a proxy is a thing that handles requests for a client. So if I'm on my machine and I have to access the internet through a proxy, the proxy takes my requests, goes out and gets it and returns it to me. A reverse proxy is the opposite, which <laughs> means that it does the same thing, but just with a flipped version of who the client and yeah, person is. You just make... You're just making that up. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm just. I'm trying to figure out what the drunken UX explanation of a re- reverse proxy is. What Cloudflare does. Cloudflare. So here's where we get back to this argument. Cloudflare isn't strictly a CDN. They are a reverse mm. proxy with aggressive caching. That's what they are. Okay. And I can't explain it without another 14 hours and three more drinks but (laughs) basically what they're doing is if you make a request it goes out and says i have it here's the result if it Mm -hmm. doesn't then it proxies that request back to its origin server to get what it needs and then returns it to the requester it's like ordering a drink from the bar but if the bartender doesn't know how to make the drink, then it finds someone else to make the drink we for them. We really need to work this kind of metaphor into our conversations a lot more. I think it's very on-brand, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that would make a great coffee table book. We've we've been Michael and I have been talking about possible like merch things. Um, so a coffee table book that explains web technology through, through bar, bar metaphors. metaphors. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that is extremely on brand. The, I think, so here's maybe the way to put it. A proxy is a proxy if it's closest to you. A proxy is reverse if it's closest to the thing you are requesting information from. How's that for an explanation? Oh, okay. Actually, yeah, that's um, that's a good. Because... I'd like that to be bar-related. Because a, is a, but, but let's yeah. get this weird, because a proxy could re, could refer or request from a reverse proxy, and then you've got proxies <laughs> talking to proxies, and now it's like Stephen King. It's proxies all the way down. That's not Stephen King. It's, it's a Stephen King reference to another reference, but you get the idea. Turtles. It's like... Turtles like, all the way down. Like, you're just... You got the lawyers talking to each other instead of... Yeah. It's, it's the web lawyers, yeah. and you're not kidding. You know what? Gingerbreads are not good past about two of them. Uh, It gets weird, folks. (laughs) Uh, Let's, before this goes too far out of control, so reverse proxies, don't worry about too much about it, basically. CloudFront's perfectly good. If you think of them as a CDN, that's fine. Um, Let's look at specifically, like, CloudFront and Spaces. The point of a CDN, Mm -hmm. content delivery network. The idea is to get your content out there and get it to people quickly. And... Part of the way they accomplish this is by sending, copying and sending your stuff a bunch of places. And obviously that has the drawback of somebody may get a copy rather than the newest. And you have to consider that. And depending on what you're doing, what kind of application you're developing, there are ways to address that. You can send invalidation requests that force a CDN to refresh your stuff. I'm not hmm. gonna go that deep. I I I think maybe maybe first we should address what's the need there. And I um in the first half of the episode we were talking about how like you know five nines still leaves two hours out of every year open because the amount of number the the number is so big. And so when you're talking about serving traffic on a global scale, if you have a server in California and you're accessing it from New York, it's no big deal. It's you you may as well be local. It's really fast. But if you're trying to access all the way around the world or across an ocean, you're going to have some latency issues. And so if you at least have a server on the same continent as the person who's requesting it, it's going to be Or, I mean, an even better way to look at that is what if the server in California goes down? Then New York might get their data from a server in Virginia instead. Right. um, Because it is cached there. So your outage, it basically says whatever... Um, whatever uh, SLA service level agreement, whatever your service provides you as a guarantee, this is going mm-hmm. to add nines to the end of it, basically. Now, yeah. if you're a user in California, you may not get your content. Right. That's or it may or it may take longer. longer. Some of them can detect that yeah. outage and route you to another node and. Right. They will tell you that it will do that. I have an experience generally found that sometimes you can still hit, you know, a, a, a 500 or what is it, a 503, mm. something like that. Um, you get an error, point being. Um, yeah. But the idea is to get stuff out there to as many places as you can, as quickly as you can. And let's use the podcast. So the idea is I want our podcast, I don't want somebody to listen to us in Russia and have slow bandwidth and have to wait, you know, 15 seconds just for the show to start if they are listening to it. And so what we do, I store our episodes in S3. 
S3 handles, you know, replication, it handles backups, all of that. So mm-hmm. I know my data itself is safe. I have put a domain in front of that, episodes.drunkenux.com, that is a CloudFront distribution. So what happens mm-hmm. is about 75% of the time, give or take, when you request a copy of our episode to listen to in your podcast app, it is coming from a location very close to you. Um, mm-hmm. It's the it's called the hit or miss uh, ratio. And so if you are hitting right. our cache, if you are in, let's, I'm going to come back to Virginia just because there are, you know, tons of data centers there. If you're in Virginia and you listen to this episode right now, you are very likely listening to it from a server in Virginia. If you are in mm-hmm. uh, France, you're going to get a copy of this out of Paris. And it just reduces, you know, latency now, we're talking hundreds of milliseconds, tens of milliseconds in some cases. But, you know, in aggregate, especially for high-volume e-commerce websites, we know milliseconds matter. And so CloudFront, mm-hmm. for instance, has 133 edge locations all over the planet. Uh, Spaces has, I think, 45 edge locations. Again, this is all as of this episode. And what they're trying to do is send your data as many places as they can so that it can get to somebody from the closest physical possible destination. It minimizes jumps. Mm -hmm. It minimizes routers they have to go through. It minimizes, you know, any kind of data exchange, and it reduces the points of failure. So if you have high-value high availability data that you want to get to people, that's where this stuff starts to really matter. Did I sound passionate? Did I say that with authority? Oh. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that's that's why. That's why you do this. Um, if you're a little Joe Schmo site in the middle of, you know, western Utah, maybe you don't need to worry about that kind of availability. But it's good to understand how networks work, how distribution works, and things like that, because it, it'll factor into anything you build down the road, hopefully. Agreed. I, I think that, I, again, since people in our audience are probably smaller shops, you're better off just, I mean, for the amount of traffic you're probably dealing with, just pay someone else to do it for you. <laughs> just do AWS or S3 or... Digital Ocean Spaces or whatever service offers something. This week's Ask Aaron, are you a small shop or working for small shops or do you work at a larger organization? And I'm asking that honestly. I would actually love to know if our listeners are working for companies or freelancers or whatever the case may be. We should do a Twitter poll. Twitter poll. I'm on board for that. Um, Twitter poll. The other thing... That's scientific. The other thing that I find uh, that CDNs make useful is SSL. Um, If you've done much with SSL, trying to get certificates, getting them installed, going through uh, certificate authorities, things like that, it's not the easiest process. Um, Let's Encrypt makes it much easier. Uh, DigitalOcean, Mm -hmm. not to plug them or do anything, but DigitalOcean has some really good tutorials on how to enable uh, Let's Encrypt. So... If you've got a website, if you're serving information, you can secure it. But like Amazon, they do their own version. It's not Let's Encrypt, but it's like their own version of that. And you can just say, you know Mm -hmm. what? I need this secured with this domain. And they will generate that certificate for you on the spot. And it's super easy. Uh, And so if you're doing anything where, I mean, I shouldn't say if you're doing anything. 
security should always matter for everybody, regardless of what you're doing. You should have, you should have, you should at least do the low hanging fruit with security. Right. Um, like Let's Encrypt, it's not. I I wouldn't do a banking site off of Let's Encrypt. I like if you're a big enough target to where people are going to explicitly look for you. You maybe want to go with something a bit bigger, like get it like Verisign or similar, GeoTrust, whatever. Uh, but if you are just running your own personal site, you just want the basic amount of like, just make yourself not an easy right. target. That's really all you have to do. Because and, and this comes back. There was there's some articles written on this, but uh, th- there have been arguments that well, I just serve a basic text only site. Why would I ever bother mm-hmm. with SSL? It's be- no, someone in someone in ISIS will find your site and they will try to hack it to put an ISIS banner. Or it's not even that they will try to hack your <laughs> site, but they will try to hack something in between. Yeah, that's the problem. Is that it's not about you; it's about the connection, right? Um, and I'm gonna. I don't want to. I'm. Hey, I like gingerbread. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get I've had, about like, that right now. I have a I have a silly like tiny personal blog. I think my traffic is probably if I hit a hundred in a month, it's like like oh I must have had a good month. So it's not it, it really doesn't get a lot of traffic, but I've gotten hit by uh, by hackers on two occasions. One of them it replaced the uh, the index.php with like a big ISIS banner or like anti ISIS banner. I don't know. It was something like that, and I'm like really like what. Like I enjoy the extra twenty hits a month you get towards your cause, I guess. <laughs> like they, the point is like it doesn't matter if you are if you are small or unknown, your IP address is public and people will find it, and so just take the extra hour or however many hours it takes. It's not very long, and do these little things. Keep your stuff security patched because it matters. Well, that's a great reason to move on to what is really kind of our last subject of the night, which is a security. Why would you do this? Why would you want to use a CDN? Mm -hmm. What is security, right? I mentioned earlier on that Cloudflare, uh, Key CDN, Max CDN, these guys, like they Mm -hmm. have security measures in place. This includes injection detection. Uh, You know, they check to make sure like if something is submitting to a form on your site, they have... let. Let me phrase this the way I phrase it for other services, whether it's email, banking, things like this, which is if you think you can protect your security better than somebody like Cloudflare, (laughs) you probably don't need to be listening to me right now. Let's at least put it that way. (laughs) They are better at that than you are. But thank you. But thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you for giving us that credit. If you'd like... If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please contact you us. You know, I've, I've had people ask, well, why would I ever, I don't want to use Gmail for security. I don't trust, you know, Google for that stuff. And I'm like, Google has one of the best security track records out of any company on the planet right now, as yeah. far as that goes. Do you really think you can do it better than them? No, you can't. I mean, they they use your emails to train their robots, but like, yeah. But that's the same goes for like the CDN stuff with, and I say Cloudflare and all these guys, they check. If Something comes through that looks bad. They force people to approve it. You know whether mm-hmm. they. I don't know. Uh, Cloudflare, I think, has their own thing, but um, other services they have captcha stuff like that. But um, I, I know Cloudflare sites 
occasionally if they're high volume especially um you'll when you load up the site it'll have like that weird interstitial page where it'll show like the four dots that kind of bounce right yeah and it'll say something about cloudflare ddos protection i see that a um, lot because i use a vpn for most of my traffic so yeah 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 um and that's worth noting too that some of these like if you do use a vpn for anything um mm-hmm. i use it for work I have to. I work for a company that has offices all over the world. And in fact, we're talking right now about a feature we're going to implement that has geo-targeting. And I'm like, and mm. we, so we need to use that in order to say, you know what? I need to come out of a New York endpoint. I need to come out of a France endpoint. Right. Because I need to test the locale features for that area. Um, right. But most organizations have those IPs tracked and flagged out of the gates. Um, they mm-hmm. won't reject them outright, but they will usually require you. So yeah, you say that, and I've I've seen that that Cloudflare screen a lot. Usually, usually it's just like a a five second load time. I'm I'm guessing that it's just it might just be DDoS protecting by just forcing it to have five extra seconds before it yeah. loads the, loads the content. It may be looking for a like a wait disconnect kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but the security the and Cloudflare that's that's been their big selling point, right? That having the denial of service protection is one of the and that's another reason why CDNs matter. It's hard to denial of service attack an organization where their endpoints are literally scattered all over the world. It's, right, and they're just cache caches. Right. It's <laughs> one point of failure versus like Amazon 133 points of failure. Right. Um so <laughs> if that is something you need to worry about, that's one option. The the other is simple, and it came up mm-hmm. in the last episode. It's come up before the hug of death. Mm-hmm. All right. If yeah. you get featured, if you've written something or do something, and it gets featured in Slashdot or Reddit or any of these places, Imager, some of these sites that drive a lot of traffic, mm-hmm. it helps you avoid that downtime by giving you the ability to scale up very quickly and support a lot of traffic all at once without your server, you know, dropping to its knees. Right. I, I've i never had that happen to myself on my own content. Um, but we did at my last job, there was an article written by one of the research centers that got got reddited. And um, we had <laughs> the traffic. It was so funny. We got our Google Analytics and it was like, you know, like every day we typically get like around 2000, 2000 hits or so. But that one day it was like 30,000 hits for three days straight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know the feeling. Um, and if you work at an organization of any kind, even if you're a small organization, you never know what big thing might happen there. And it doesn't right. have to be bad. It could be something really good. You may be getting bought by somebody, you, you know, who knows what it is. Mm-hmm. If you're a software company that builds some weird niche, little, uh, neat niche or niche. I've never really known how to say that. Uh, I think it's like creaking. How, how do like I it's... say that in the middle? Nietzsche, uh, <laughs> a product. <laughs> no, that that means and nothing. Microsoft <laughs> buys you, then right. people are going to rush to your site very quickly, and you may not know about it until the day before it happens. Uh, I I would say if you if you know that something really big is going to happen to you, like that, a lot of people might be interested in. Maybe talk with whoever is doing your web stuff and just let them know and say, like, could you fix things so that we can handle this? 
And then they can you know, give them like 24 hours to, to get some stuff and play, get Cloudflare or whatever set up, you know, just for that month. Yeah. And, you know, oddly enough, that's a good point unto itself. And it comes back to like the availability argument that mm-hmm. um, the argument that we've been talking about has a lot to do with like if your website gets traffic, but things on your website can get traffic too that you don't realize. <laughs> and every one of those is a request hitting, whether it's Apache uh nginx mm-hmm. whatever the case may be whatever you're using but all of that creates requests and and things that your server has to handle and if you're running on a small if you're a small company small server mm-hmm. and you get that it can really disrupt your availability and yeah block storage object storage cdns all help alleviate that if your images are being served from s3 you can almost be assured that you will never serve a 404 to somebody on that I would agree with that. It's, yeah. you know, it's virtually guaranteed. If you put a CDN in front of it, you're at like 18 nines at that point in terms of if the <laughs> file exists, it exists. Um, and even if you delete it, one of the things people have really praised like S3 and stuff for is if you have deleted something mistakenly, you can usually recover mm-hmm. it before anybody ever notices. Because if you've right. got S3 with CloudFront, the CloudFront has cached it. It's serving that. By the time it gets a delete request, it's already been restored. It's So when somebody hits it and the cache says, oh, I don't have it. Let me go look for it. It goes back and looks mm. for it, and it's, it's there. It's You put it back. Yeah. There's the, the issue of availability goes up orders of magnitude, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's something, even if you're a small site, I'd argue it's more important if you're a small site. If you're small, every visit counts. And if somebody comes to you and doesn't get their thing they need, then that makes it all the worse for you as opposed to Amazon. If I go to Amazon and I get a 500, I wait two minutes, I go back, whatever. <laughs> I don't think I've, I've gotten that on Twitter a bunch, the, the fail whale. YouTube. Have you ever got the giant blob of error text on YouTube before? No. no? I don't think oh, so. Oh, man. I've gotten it a few times. Uh, when YouTube goes down... I use YouTube quite a bit. Get the little monkey yeah. on the side. No, I don't think I've but seen that. you forgive it. I've, I've gotten the Twitter fail well. When, it, when it's... Well, yeah. Good yeah. example. Okay, Twitter fail yeah. well. You forgive services that you know will be back. Like Twitter... Right. I, I Okay, Twitter fail well. I know they're coming back. They're going to be there. If I'm looking for an answer to a question <laughs> and I go to, you know, John Jacobs ones.com blog and it's down i'm not ever coming yeah you're gonna i'm go literally else. never coming back so availability right. is huge yeah. and with availability comes speed every time twitter farewell comes up i i secretly hope that maybe that site will be down never for come back forever <laughs> right <laughs> yeah like it's a secret hope that i have and I, i'm not i'm not at all sorry about that like I'll tell Jack that to his face. <laughs> I've been on Twitter for ten years, man. You take that back. <laughs> so have I. I've been on since two thousand eight. Speed is huge, though, too, because <laughs> with edge locations, you're getting your data to people much quicker. Right. Services like Cloudflare. I don't know Max CDN and CD uh, Key CDN because I haven't used them, but I know Cloudflare has a minification service, so they'll strip all the white space and everything out for you. Uh, minification is sometimes also called uglification. uglification. Like there's the JavaScript uglifier. It just it it makes your 
JavaScript and CSS, it'll like substitute your JavaScript with like variables that are single letters that are impossible. Well, not impossible, but very hard to read. Um, and your CSS removes all the white space. Remove all the white space. Because every bit of white space actually takes up space. Like it takes a, it, it takes memory yeah. to store a white space. If you have a 20,000 kilobyte CSS load, you know, how much of that is carriage return? Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 yeah, it adds up. It, it does add up. And what was it? BuzzFeed that uh, had the article out recently about a change they made that, like, it, it, what was the, it saved them like 13 million requests or something. Like, it cut a huge. You know what actually really saves the space, though, isn't the specifically stripping out white space. It's that when you, um, Rails does this as of 3.1, it was a headache to get it, but great now. It, they take all of your CSS and they put them all into one file. And then that one file is sent down as a single request. So you're not requesting three different CSS files or eight different CSS files like Bootstrap and then Overrides and then whatever else. You're just getting one massive minified CSS file. And same thing with JavaScript. It's going to put it all into one giant JavaScript blob that comes out as a single request. It reduces points of failure, right? And that's what it was with BuzzFeed is they had reduced a deal that, like they were getting 13 million visitors were losing like JavaScript files, um, or not losing, Mm -hmm. but like the JavaScript was failing to execute. And they made a change to fix that. It's like, you know, normally you would say, oh, it's less than 1%. We're not going to worry about that. But for a company like BuzzFeed, it's 13 million visitors. That's, that's where (laughs) it's like the percentage doesn't matter. We're talking about a huge number of people that are not getting what they need. Uh, And so committing to a service that is designed to help you get your content to users ensures that you are Mm -hmm. solving that problem. And even as that percentage decreases, if you are a smaller company, that is a bigger piece of your pie than somebody like BuzzFeed. Right. Uh, Okay, Uh, but why? Why? Uh, Cost is, I think, the last big thing on my list, which is, Co- uh, you know the cost of delivering content to people matters, and HostGator. What is it? I'm gonna hold on. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not even gonna cut the episode out. I'm just gonna go to HostGator right now. Dot uh, com. Like five. Is, is it up five to five months? It used to be three ninety five a month, and I think now they are like yeah. I think they're either four ninety five or five ninety five. Uh, no, it starts. It's around starting five. at only two seventy five a month. Oh my god! That's really? Pretty cheap. Uh yeah no their their hatchling plan is two seventy five a month for a limited time asterisk, <laughs> um, folks, you are going to get two seventy five a month value service, <laughs> and when you are starting out when you are first becoming a web developer and first learning to code and and do all that that is probably acceptable. It is not acceptable when you've been doing web development for a decade though, or when you have a large audience have have an audience yeah. and. Even, again, let's pull back to the uh, podcast. I would not qualify us as having a large audience. I think we have a respectable audience for what we do. Um, Thank you to all Mm -hmm. of you listening. I appreciate every one of you because, my God, if you're still listening, hey, pour yourself a gingerbread. (laughs) Especially you you specifically. You specifically. You are a special person. God damn it. You, we like you better than all the rest of us. No, no, no. Hold on. You, (laughs) You right now, I want to tell you something. 
Aaron, sit down. <laughs> Be quiet. I have to talk to this person. You, I want you to know something, okay? Uh, you are fucking awesome. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. That is not funny. I think it is awesome that you care enough about what you're doing to even be listening to a podcast, let alone ours. So, you know what? It's fucking awesome. Uh, right on. But, in all seriousness, you get what you pay for, right? In what industry is that not true? <laughs> you get yeah. what you pay for. And if you're doing a high-volume site, a high-availability site, a medium-availability site, a low not microscopic. Microscopic is what the mm -hmm. AWS free tier is for. If you're doing anything where you care about getting your stuff out, we just here, let's let's um let's get real. The podcast, the Drunken UX podcast, just passed the free tier on Amazon. Wow. Last month we finally were delivering enough data that we no longer qualified. And my bill was eighty-two cents. <laughs> that's what it cost me yeah. to transfer what 58 60 gigs worth of audio to people so the thing you have to remember is that like companies like amazon amazon powers netflix right. like netflix has a non-trivial amount of total global internet traffic at large so you know like however big you may think your traffic is probably okay and it's probably not that much as far as amazon is concerned and it's it's probably less than you think it would and cost it's well worth it month. because what's going to happen is if you are a huge site and you're trying to take advantage of of an unlimited plan they're going to come to you and say hmm we're either going to cripple the quality of the service that we are delivering for you mm. or we're going to force you to go up to a higher tier anyway and so putting right. the the simple act of putting a CDN in front of what you're delivering could save all of that cost and then some or using block mm -hmm. storage or whatever the case may be. And the reason we couple right. these together is because also serving from a CDN is cheaper than serving from block or object storage. So bandwidth mm -hmm. from CloudFront is cheaper than bandwidth bandwidth directly from S3. Not by a ton, right? but again, at scale, certainly matters. But even at a low level, 82 cents of CloudFront distribution, I mean, we're literally talking gigs of transfer. So yeah, that's something else to just keep in mind. How about we take a break? Uh, let's give our sponsor, what, about a minute? Does that sound fair? I think about a minute. And then we'll come back and wrap After up. After these messages, we'll be right back. The Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by our friends at NewCloud. NewCloud is an industry-leading interactive map provider who has been building location-based solutions for organizations for a decade. Are you trying to find a simple solution to provide your users with an interactive map of your school, city, or business? Well, NewCloud's interactive map platform gives you the power to make and edit a custom interactive map in just minutes. They have a team of professional cartographers who specialize in map illustrations of many different styles and are ready to design an artistic rendering to fit your exact needs. One map serves all of your users' devices with responsive maps that are designed to scale and blend in seamlessly with your existing website. To request a demonstration or to view their portfolio, visit them online at newcloud.com slash drunkenUX. That's nucloud.com slash drunkenUX. 
Well, seeing as how I was the one who plugged our social networks when we started, and not you, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> hand it over to you to what What was it you said when we started the show? Why don't you refresh people? Uh, so uh, uh, Instagram dot com slash drunken ux podcast yes. and then twitter and facebook.com slash drunken ux and slack.com no drunken ux.com slash slack you. uh folks uh, we are coming up on the end of the year we do have a couple more few more episodes of real-time overview coming up every wednesday we have another episode of build prod build prod i don't know build process build wow process. Uh, build process coming up on Wednesday. Our next episode is with Shelly Keith uh, from Modern <gasps> Tribe. Shelly! Shelly uh, was kind enough to sit down, and Aww. let me tell you, you're going to want to listen to it because Shelly is a fun time anytime. Shelly is awesome. Um, hey, are, speaking of Shelly, are you doing the gift exchange this year? I am doing the gift exchange this year. Same. I always do that. I still have your little uh, drawing of a clamp, so. <laughs> I, just, I just signed up. This uh, today, or Aaron, I got the final Aaron and I randomly got assigned to each other as Secret Santas uh, <laughs> one year. So what? Last year, year before last, I think. Uh, it was it was two, two years, years ago. ago. I missed last year. Uh, it was two years ago. But outside of that, <laughs> stay tuned because we do have one more episode of the Drunken UX podcast, and then we're going to do our end of the year roundup, which you won't want to miss. Other than that, guys, I only got one other thing to say, and that's get yourself a gingerbread. But. Keep your personas close and your users closer. Happy holidays. Wow. Those are a contrasting <laughs> comparison of statements. Oh. And while we're ahead, we'll see you later, folks. <laughs> see ya. <laughs>